thank you so much for listening to another episode of CX Chronicles Podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Brady Chisana. Tune in each week as we listen to amazing customer-focused business leaders from across the world sharing their personal stories about their teams, tools, process, and feedback. Check us out at cxchronicles.com today or listen on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Hey guys, this is Adrian, host of CX Chronicles Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in each and every week, listening and learning to amazing customer-focused business leaders from across the world. I wanted to take a minute to give a quick shout out on some of the things that we're working on here at CXC. Number one, CX scorecards. Take a minute to check out the CX scorecard and see how your business and team is stacking up to others. Number two, CX accelerators. We are spending time with incredible startups and scale-ups across the country, helping them optimize their CX and offering them a number of different CX managed services. Number three, CX boot camps. If you're looking for a way to become CXC certified and level up your game, ask us about our boot camps. You get access to a live coach on a weekly basis, and we will build your game plan for building your customer-focused playbook for success. Check us out at cxchronicles.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Eli Schwartz, growth advisor and consultant and the best-selling author of Product-Led SEO. Eli and his team have done some incredible work helping companies think about how they can grow, think about how they can find new channels to find their brand new customers, and constantly thinking about how they can help their clients grow their business. Eli and his team have worked with some incredible companies across the world, and we're super excited to have them on the CX Chronicles podcast today. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of the CX Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Brady Chisana. Super excited to welcome Eli Schwartz to the show today. Eli, say hello to the CX Nation, my friend. Hey, it's so great to be here, Adrian. Like this is, you know, I listen to some of the podcasts and the kind of people you talk to about caring about customers and like that. I love talking about that stuff and I'm, you know, just excited to dig in. I'm, I'm excited to dig in too, man. So guys, Eli has had a super, super cool career. He has done some amazing things doing growth advisory work, SEO consulting. He's got this incredible book out right now, one, a number one Amazon bestseller, product-led SEO. And he's on the show today to, to do what we always do, guys. He's going to be talking about um, his, his own entrepreneurial journey and experience. And he's going to talk about some of the incredible work that he's been able to do across the world with some really cool customers and clients. So Eli, why don't you start off the show, sir? Um, give the CX Nation your five-minute elevator pitch, man. Give them a sense for uh, who you are and, and, and how you got into the type of work that you're doing today, my friend. Yeah. So I, I, you know, in listening to podcasts and you talk to a lot of chief customer officers and people really focused on customers, like I'm so not that, but I am so that internally. So, you know, just a little walkthrough uh, of my career. So for right now, I'm a growth advisor. I work with some really, really cool companies on helping them to build out strategies to go after the organic search user. So we're, I wouldn't say I'm an SEO consultant necessarily. I'm building out strategies and pages and websites that are going after people that are going to be searching on Google. And it's not really about, you know, optimizing for those pages. We're optimizing for the end user. However, you know, all of that started, you know, many years ago when I got into SEO, I was, uh, you know, working at a company, 
doing what many might many people might consider to be you know sort of gray hat black hat SEO uh, looking for loopholes in search it was a company that was you know focused on building out websites for cars so you know at the time there was really only one place you could do any automotive research if you wanted to buy a new car and you know the opportunity was to go after all those users that are looking to buy new cars and to you know generate advertising from all the big automotive companies that want to reach those users. So we built out you know hundreds of sites for all the cars out there. I and mean, we did you know gray hat slash black hat is essentially taking advantage of, of of the algorithm. And you know, a couple of years into that role, we got hit by Google algorithm penalty. So I'd I'd learned SEO, I'd known SEO before and I'd learned SEO really at that company. And after we got hit by that Google algorithm update where we lost, you know, 65% of our traffic in one morning, and by the time all was said and done, we'd lost 80% of our traffic. Wow. You know, I transitioned completely to a new way of thinking about how I was going to approach Google and how I was going to approach search and not really be about taking advantage of the algorithm and trying to understand the algorithm instead and trying to understand what the algorithm Google algorithm is out to do, which is service the customer. So really understand what is it that a Google search user is doing. And at the time there was competition to Google. Now there's absolutely no competition whatsoever, at least not in English, you know, some other search engines around the world, but you know, Bing is, is um, a very, very small percentage of search. I, I don't even know if I've ever met an actual Bing search user. They, <laughs> they are out there. They're, so they got to be, they got to be right. Eli, they got to be somewhere. They got to be, you know, DuckDuckGo is growing a little bit, but like, Google changed the paradigm of what search is. So at the time, what Google was doing with their algorithm updates was really, they want to make sure that when you did a Google search, you were going to get the best experience possible and you were going to want to do another Google search and do another Google search and maybe click on an ad in the process and make Google some money. And I started to understand that and I started approaching everything around search in a completely different way, which is what is it that the user is going to want from search? Because that's what Google is going to want to build to. And that's the way they're going to run their algorithms. Yes, there will always be loopholes, but those loopholes will close as Google perfects their process of search. And then from there, I moved on to SurveyMonkey where I was there for a number of years. And at a very interesting time, you know, I different roles. I was in a search role. I was an international marketing role. I actually moved overseas to Singapore where I spent almost two years leading our marketing from Singapore for all of Asia. And, you know, for me, that was the most amazing customer insight experience. I wasn't necessarily in search, but I translate everything I learned in search. Like I love like sitting on trains all over Asia and just watching over people's shoulders, how they use their phones, like what kind of apps they use and did they search? Did they do voice search? What were the ways they communicated? Was it, you know, a WhatsApp? Was it Weibo? Uh, was it um, Viber? Like all these things that I wasn't used to. And like for me, it was like a constant like learning experience and how things work. Like, you know, I was working for SurveyMonkey. So one of my very interesting survey experiences was that in, you know, in most places, we're familiar with surveys and the, that people run surveys because they want to learn from the survey and they want to get results. While it's in Singapore, I understood or, or learned in the process of meeting with a number of SurveyMonkey's customers that surveys were about a, a KPI in its own, that you want to run a survey and get a bunch of responses so you could say you ran a survey and got a bunch of responses, but no one really needed to actually open up that survey. And to me, that was fascinating. And there were all these sort of things like, just understanding how that culture and economy work differently. You know, here in, in America, at least, and I know it's different in Europe, but in America, at least you buy something, you don't like it, you return it. And every single store has a return policy where they don't have customers. Like, you know, Amazon takes in so many returns and, it, you know, probably not environmentally friendly, but we're all returning stuff all the time. And in Asia, it was really like, you buy something, you owned it. You walked out of the store, you owned it. And that customer experience was totally different because people got screwed. 
like you as buyer beware, like you knew that when you're walking out of the store, you had to really want that because you couldn't bring it back. And like, so, so many different insights I gathered. So like another, you know, the way I layered that into surveys was it wasn't that helpful to do a survey to see if your customers liked you because they probably didn't like you. So no one really measured it. So like all these fascinating things. So coming back to, you know, after a couple of years, I, I went back into search and, you know, I was able to translate all that really, you know, customer experience and how customers feel and how they search and what they're looking for and what their expectations are. And I built an entire methodology in a way of thinking, which I, I put into my book, Product-Led SEO, which is when you're writing search experiences, it's not about doing keyword research and saying, this is what someone's going to be searching because a keyword research tool told me. So therefore I'm going to create the content for it. And I'm going to add that keyword into my content as many times as possible. So when someone searches on Google, Google will favor me and then they'll find it. Right. I really changed that whole you know methodology into, again, what I call product-led SEO, which is what is it that a user is searching for and what can I build and how can I create that good experience specifically for that search user? And my favorite example of this is, is really Zillow. You know, Zillow, they're not doing keyword research about every single address in America and that's what they're optimizing for. What they did was they said, here's a product people need, they're looking for. They want to understand the valuation of their home. They want to understand how much their neighbors pay for their house. They want to understand how much their neighbor's house is worth so they can decide if they're wealthy or not. And Zillow built that product. They built it programmatically. They didn't create a lot of content for it. They used all these government data sets to put to get that together. And most of that traffic is generated from search. And that's what I advocate for doing, understanding what is a user looking for online and how do you build that? And then the search engines will come to it. You don't need to trick the search engines and you don't need to you know, find loopholes in the Google algorithm. Google's looking to satisfy exactly what it is that the user is searching for. And that's what we build into. So I love this idea of, of you know, CX and really like focusing on the customer. And it's, it's so different than the way a lot of people do SEO because SEO, again, usually the focal point of SEO is, is going to be, how do I get around Google and how do I get to the top of Google? And for me, that, that's not a be all and end all. I think that's a vanity KPI to be at the top of Google if no one's going to click. And it's a vanity KPI if you're going to get a lot of clicks, but no one's going to buy. And there's you know a lot of conversations right now around like AI written content. AI written content is okay if you want to get to the top of search, but it's people that buy. No one's going to read a piece of content and say, oh, wow, that's, um, I'm going to, I think it's been written by a computer and I'm going to buy that product because they wrote a good piece of content. They're not going to pull out their credit card for that. We need to remember who's at the other end of that. So if you're showing up you know, number one in search, you want to show up number one in users' minds that they want to convert. So, you know, that that's my that's my quick elevator pitch and, and you know, what I focus on. And, and for all the customers that I work with, all the clients I work with right now, it's it's who's that, who is their end user? Who is that customer? Who are they looking to show up on search? And what do we build for them? And probably about three quarters of the time together, we determine that there is no end user. For a B2B SaaS product, there probably is not someone on search that is looking to find their product just on search and going to convert just on search. Obviously, there is a customer there, but search may not be the channel they want to invest in. That's look number one, Eli. I think there's there there's so much that that, that we could kind of break out from, from from some of the experiences that you've had, some of the the work that you've been able to do. I think first and foremost is just for some of the folks on this show, like there's so much we can be thinking about right now in terms of customer experience in today's world. It equals so many things to so many different people. And Eli, hearing your entire journey and hearing about. Um, all of the different things that you've been able to kind of work with, work inside of and, and, and do inside of the world of 
not just search engine optimization, but but growth, man, right? And 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 the beginning of any customer experience, it's awareness, it's consideration, right? You you can't convert somebody until somebody knows that you're there and they know that you're a thing and they know where to find you and they know what types of products and services you're even offering. And so 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 this is super cool, man. This is gonna be fun because I think it's it's a totally different um lens i think for for most cxers who oftentimes they you know people think about customer experience they think about customer success customer support customer service inside selling customer facing teams right but but the reality is is like it really does encompass the very very beginning of the customer journey which is the world that you've become um just so so intimately familiar with. And then also you've been able to do some awesome work. Some of the advisory, you know, positions you've done, you've been at some of these companies that are, that, that are incredible companies that have, you know, really done some, some amazing things, including SurveyMonkey. But I also, as you and I were chatting about last week, man, like some of these um, customer bases are totally, totally different. Right. So it's kind of cool that you yeah. got to see that as well. Like the aggregation of how to um, create awareness and consideration in a totally different type of customer base. That is a super interesting skill set, my friend. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, it's been fascinating to really get into these businesses. And, you know, sometimes I talk to companies and they don't know what the customer looks like. They make a lot of money off those customers and they really can't describe it. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. I, I, I see this myself on a regular basis. And I think it's on one hand, I'm jealous because good for them for figuring out how to create a revenue, uh, you know, a, a revenue engine that, that without knowing that, because most, most, most successful businesses, right. That's, that's part of the magic sauce is understanding who your ideal customer profile is building your marketing, your sales, your service, your product, and then your eventual support to that ideal customer profile and then rinse, washing, and repeating, right? And then you typically have an excellent business on your hands. Um, Eli, I'd love to jump into the first CX pillar of team. So you've got, like like, like I just mentioned, you, you, you had some really, really awesome experiences at, at a number of different companies. Can you spend a couple of minutes talking about what are some of the major drivers inside of team um, and team organization that you've seen to be um, really, really important to the, to, to the curation of an excellent customer experience? You know, it's a funny thing because I, I, you know, the thing I do the most now is talk to people and meet with teams and understand team dynamics. I got to say, it's so fascinating sometimes when those teams like, you know, engineers and, and product managers and, you know, data scientists, they don't know what the customer looks like. Someone does know what the customer looks like, especially in the larger companies, someone has to know. But it's so fascinating when they're not familiar with the end user experience. And, you know, not to call out SurveyMonkey too much, um, but I did spend a number of years there. I can tell you that there were many, many of my colleagues there that had never run a survey. You know, later on when they started onboarding more learning and development, they forced everyone to like in their onboarding to actually run surveys and to collect yeah. responses. But early on in my journey there, you know, we, everyone was entitled to a free account and they had to have an account so they could understand it. But like, you know, many people never logged in. They just didn't run a survey. So you can't empathize with the customer and understand what you're building as a, as a product manager. And like there were product managers that didn't really run surveys and didn't understand the need for a product that came from on top of them. Whereas a marketer to really understand like, how are you appealing to people to want to use something if you don't use it yourself? So within teams, you'll have people that have varying levels of familiarity with, you know, the goal. Yeah, the goal being satisfying the customers. Like to me, that's always my biggest insight. And I see it over and over and over again in my consulting. I love that. I think um, you, you, you made me laugh here because it's, it, you're right, man, specifically on 
product and operation sides. I've been in several businesses where number one, part of, I think, how I became, um, you know, uh, 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 at this point, you know, 13 years into a, C, a senior CX or whatever you want to call me, but part of why I actually had jobs, Eli, and I know this is, it sounds like a, a joke, but I'm not even kidding. Part of why I had a job is as a head of customer experience or customer experience manager in many of the venture capital-backed startups I helped to build in New York City was to almost play that role, man. Basically, Adrian would go be the customer guy. He would spend a ton of time interviewing customers, meeting with customers, understanding what customers needed, understanding what customers loved about us and hated about us. And then essentially curating the story or the or or, or better yet, over time, showing the evolution of what the actual customer journey looked like or, or, or how to measure it or how to manage it or how it actually tied across sales and ops and product and, techn and technology and analytics, et cetera. And then really kind of socializing and, and, and broadcasting those findings to ops and to product. And I think you're spot on, man, where I saw the same thing in my journey. There's so many times I'd talk with some senior product people and I would show them some of the latest customer findings. Well, where did you collect these? Well, I went and met with the customer. Well, when did you do that? Well, last week, I just did it last week. I went and met with five of them on one day. And here's, here's the 27 pages of findings that we found about not only product, but how they think about sales and how they think about ops. And you're right, man. It's, it's amazing how many um, SMEs inside of these different companies don't take the time to to kind of crawl out of the crawl out of the weeds and, and go go spend some time with your customers. Customers love talking to folks in every part of every team. It doesn't matter if you're the finance person or the analytics person or a back end product person. They will absolutely take thirty minutes out of their day to talk about the things that they love about your business, your product, or your service, or the things that you guys could improve upon. It's an easy way to get better at your business. Totally. And you know, while I was at SurveyMonkey and I was responsible for international. Um, you know, more than just Asia, I was fortunate in that I got to go to both the UK and to Germany on two separate trips and sit and meet with customers. And it was amazing. You know, like I actually had an even better experience. This is in Asia. Uh, SurveyMonkey had a, a net promoter score feature within the survey tool, which, you know, is just a kind of question you can ask. And I, I was meeting with like a really large company in Malaysia and I asked them if they had any feedback and they're like, you should create a net promoter score feature. And I was like, it's there. It was like, it's amazing. <laughs> like, we built this thing and didn't properly tell everyone that it was there. And then like I was in the UK and we talked about some of like our UK marketing and how we were using UK spelling and we had a UK domain. And I'm talking to this like huge customer. And I'm like, so how did like, how does this work for you? Do you like that we're using UK spelling and we have this UK domain? They're like, what are you talking about? And I never noticed it before. <laughs> it's like, that was, that was millions of dollars to like do yeah, that, to replicate yep. the domain. And like, it, you got to talk to customers. Obviously all that stuff is anecdotal, but once you find those anecdotes, you can validate it with, you know, quantitative data. Well, well, you know, the, the, and there's another piece to it too. You just, you, you just absolutely nailed it, which is if you're hey CXers that are listening to this, if you're out there and you're struggling with product adoption or product utilization, let's start literally with what Eli and myself are talking about right now, which is part of doing your proper customer listening and part of doing your proper uh, customer serving and, and, and focusing on feedback. Big part of it, Eli, it is the adoption and the utilization part too, because you're right, man, you're making me think there's some of these customer listening tours I would go out on, you would get 10 points of feedback asking for what, you know, a specific uh, product feature. And there was so many times, you know, and I'll, I'll put myself on the, on, 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 the, on the stage here. There was times that I would go back to the product team and say, guys, they're saying that we need this right here. 
And they would, they would say, you know, we have that man. That's right. It's in this part. And, and you're right, Eli, where it's a simple win for, for any of our, any of our startup or growth focused companies listening right now, where oftentimes that's where you're doing the socialization and that's where you're doing product adoption. And that's where you're actually going to come up with additional ways you could give your marketing and your sales team additional ammo for, 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 for specific ways to get your customers excited about your product or your service. Exactly. So I love it. Eli, I'd love to jump into the second CX pillar of tools. Um, you have, again, so we've, we've we talked about a, a tool like customer uh, survey monkey. That's a tool that many of us use probably every single day in, in, on this podcast, but talk about tools, man. I'd love to hear from your journey and from your experiences. Um, some of the things that you've really kind of picked up or some of the things that you've taken away from some of the companies you've been at that are really imperative for CXers to think about when it comes to tools and tools management and building today's businesses. To me, it's really, you know, I don't necessarily do CX. I'm just doing a little bit of research to build the best marketing. But to me, it's, you know, getting customers' needs in their voice. So it could be a survey. And that's, you know, any tool you're going to use for a survey, just to have them give qualitative feedback, not quantitative feedback. Or I really like looking at Salesforce and seeing like actual things that customers ask for in, in conversations, whether, you know, that's transcribed from a phone call or that's, you know, emailed in support. So not big on any specific CX tools, except for, you know, direct access to the customer's voice and, the, and their specific needs. Because sometimes like if it's, you know, you're making assumptions based on, well, it's quantitative. So I think they're all, you know, gravitating towards this thing. But when you hear their actual needs, and again, I'm going back to the anecdotes, like I've seen them write these things. I've seen them say these things. I think this is what what they need to be helped. Yep, I love that. I think that some of the some of the best CX teams out out there today, Eli, one of the big things that they're getting really really excellent at is um, leveraging the power of um, understanding what types of key phrases, key words, um, and key identifiers about a business or a brand are. And when when, when I say that, I mean across all channels, guys, right? So to, to Eli's point, what's coming in through your tickets, what's coming in through your CRM in the latest form of the activities that you just have with customers, what's coming in on your survey feedback side, what's coming at social media, right? There's a ton of things that you could do, Eli, this day and age with understanding um, the social sentiment out there around a business, a brand, a product, a service offering, right? And then on top of it, taking, taking it a step further, just needing to be in a bunch of different places to actually collect really, really robust customer feedback today, right? Like you have got, people are using and experiencing and interacting with, with businesses this day and age on a number of different mediums, right? So it's a super, super important to be thinking about how you can always be collecting that feedback and assessing it and dumping it back into one place to make good sense of what, what it really looks like. Yep, exactly. Um, so Eli, I imagine along your journey, man, process and maybe even just building your own living playbook or building your own personal playbook had to have been a big part of sort of helping you achieve some of the successes you've had. Can you spend a couple minutes just talking about or giving, giving some of the listeners ideas for ways that you've kind of thought about process and, 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 and the curation of your own playbook as you've kind of gone deeper and deeper into your career? Yeah, so for me, processes is about creating search experiences and, and web products at scale. So I'll dig into the data. And try to understand what the first of all who the customer is, and, and you know, talk to hopefully people at, at the companies I, I work with. They understand the customer, they understand the use case and, and the needs of the customer. 
And then I'll dig into the data and, and see whatever there is from the, the actual customer and try to experience it from, you know, the customer's eyes, you know, run my own searches and see if this is something I need. Or, you know, I, I'm working with a couple of clients in the, the vintage clothing space, um, you know, women's vintage clothing space. So even if I was into vintage clothing, I don't wear women's clothes. So like, <laughs> I, I need to, I, I need was, really, was going to ask you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and you know, I, I've worked with a company in the, the dog space and they, I don't have a dog and um, I like dogs, but I, I don't see myself ever having one in my house. And so going through that process of how does someone decide they want one and how does someone decide which one they're going to get and which one's the best fit for them and, and all that. So really to get into the heads of like, how is that customer journey? So whatever information I can gather, hopefully, again, people at the company have it. Hopefully, again, there's something out there where I'll do a bunch of research, you know, try to, as if I'm doing it myself, why would, how would I want to get a dog? How do I comparison shop on vintage clothing? How do I understand quality? What are the signals that people need? I find that, you know, Reddit and Quora are just, you know, great wealths of data on people's questions and thoughts and opinions. So to get it really to get into that. And then from there, once I validated that this is again, not anecdotal and there's a way to do this at scale. So a lot of people are looking for uh, quality signals around X and let's say it's for vintage clothing. Now I can make X be all sorts of different types of vintage clothing, whether it's a dress, a, uh, a shirt, it's a bag or boots, right? So like that X can be everything. That to me, that's now I can start building something at scale. How do you measure the quality of boots? How do you measure the quality of a purse, right? And you know, going over to dogs, it's like, how do I understand if a um, X breed is good for an apartment? So now, now again, there's something at scale. Now I'm going to create that for search. I'm not going to begin again like most people would do SEO, which is, well, what's the query volume? Are people even searching? Is uh, you know this kind of dog apartment friendly? Are are uh, vintage clothes, uh, vintage purses? Are they? How do you know if they're fake? Right. I don't need to look at those specific queries. I just need to look at does this appear multiple times? So have we validated that customers care about this? And now I'm going to start creating pages and products for search. So, and then from there, this is all a hypothesis. And what I you know I've talked about this in my book. I love what I term to be blue ocean SEO. So that's the idea of like, no one else has created this. There's, uh, I'm not measuring against competitive demand because there's no competition. I just believe from a hypothetical standpoint, that customers want this, people are searching for this and this is exactly what they're looking for. It just didn't exist yet. Now, once I do that, hopefully I'm right. I'm going to iterate that based on actual customer feedback as customers find this and experience it and continue to use it. So, so that's the process I'm building search. It's, again, it's, it's not about, can I appear on search? It's really about, can I appear on search? And now do I create more users? Do I add more users to the funnel? I love that. I think that's really, really, um, it's, it's great, Elaine. I think also just, it's one of those things where as you start building any business and you start building any team, um, you really do need to take the time to kind of have all of these different areas of not only your customer journey, but also parts of just building your business laid out in a way that you can actually make sense of um, how to actually keep your key priorities in, in, in line. And then also resourcing. What, what, what you just said made me think right there, there one of the biggest challenges of growing any business or growing any team or making a product or service become a known thing 
it's making sure that you have the key resources that are going to be required to do that, right? Do you have the right ads out in the world? Are you attracting the right types of views? Those views lead to clicks. Those clicks lead to buys. And, and, and so, so another pipeline is built. But I think it's, it's one of those things, my friend, where it's always easier said than done. And it's always one of those things where there's always new ways um, to go about finding a, finding a new customer. So I, I love all of it. Eli, I'd love to pick your brand up feedback for a little bit. You just closed um, with a comment about feedback there. Um, spend a couple of minutes talking about um, some of the things that you've learned along your journey around ways to utilize customer feedback. And then I'd love to have you spend a little bit of time talking about some of the ways that you've seen awesome brands and companies use employee feedback to, to, to get better as they grow their business and build their business. Yeah. So yeah, I love that. Well, when it comes to customer feedback, so I don't think most brands that I've ever come to come in contact with do effective customer feedback. They think they're doing customer feedback, but it's it's not necessarily translating down the line where it's supposed to go. So it depends who's gathering the feedback. And again, the really matters whether like there's a person sitting in the CX role or whether the feedback's being collected at scale by a QA team or whether the feedback's being collected by a data science team, you know, if that's the way they're doing things. So I, you know, from my experience, and you know, this is you know, even more uh under the hood experience, having been at SurveyMonkey, I just, I don't think most companies effectively use feedback. And you know, from a lot of the potential clients and clients that I work with, they, they don't use feedback. They don't use feedback at scale. Maybe, you know, they, the CEO will on occasion call a customer. So to me, it's, it's just a huge opportunity to like get in contact with customers again, whether that's at scale or whether that's just more having more frequent conversations. SurveyMonkey actually did do a pretty good job of customer feedback because I would there in the customer feedback business. And, you know, later on while I was there, as the company grew, product managers had to like sit in on, on customer calls and, and understand customer pain. So, and then from an employee feedback standpoint, I don't know that companies really use employee feedback the way it's meant to be used. Because if you, you know, you hear about like all the examples of companies pivoting based on, on employees, none of that was necessarily collected in a survey they collect surveys and they score themselves internally and but a lot of the big you know changes they make you know like look at the companies that are announcing you know remote work forever that's because of employee protest that's not the way you want to collect feedback yep. they, they should have seen that you know the, the undercurrents so that's the direction people wanted to go and gotten ahead of that rather than to like look like they're responding to a to you know a rebellion so you know, again, that's you know part of my internal experiences, survey monkey, and, and seeing what what companies did, and talking to a lot of customers, and seeing how they use feedback. I find again, like a lot of companies, they gather the feedback and then they you know put it in a deck and didn't really act <laughs> upon it. Yeah, right, right. And that's the hard part, man. That's the the hard. You're spot on. Like companies have gotten great at aggregating and collecting. They have not got good. They have not gotten good at some of the 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 granular steps around tagging it, defining it, socializing it. And then once you socialize it, prioritize what different people in your business actually have to go out and do to, 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 to close the loop, right? To literally close the loop. The other thing too, is I think I love, I love your point on the employee feedback point, which is number one, I think we, COVID has shown the entire world companies are going to probably, well, you've already, you're already seeing it out there in the world, Eli, but like companies now have to invest in EX or employee experience more than ever, because 
you know, 40, 40 plus percent of employed folks are literally looking for new jobs right now. So even if you are working at Google, Facebook, Apple, and some of the best and the brightest companies in the world, some of those people are looking for new jobs right now. People have had a shift in their mindsets because of COVID. So it's going to be really interesting. I love that you also see the opportunity in that space, my friend. I think that for folks that um, can think about that point that Eli just called out, which is how do you help companies get better at leveraging their customer and their employee feedback? I Personally, obviously, I'm a huge, huge, huge believer in the fact that that's going to be a multiple billion dollar industry in the future. So love that you see that, too. Eli, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. As we wrap up today's show, I want to make sure that um, you let folks in the CX Nation know where they can find out more about you, my friend, and where they can find your new book. So find out more about me on LinkedIn. That is my favorite social platform. I'm also on Twitter. So LinkedIn, obviously, you could just look up Eli Schwartz. Uh, Twitter, my handle is 5LE. So I was, uh, was lucky enough to get a, a short handle there. And then I've got my own site, elishwartz.co. Don't judge me based on that site, but I, I, <laughs> it, it needs a refresh there. So I put more of my effort into, you know, the book was, was a big effort. It, it took me away from everything else I was doing, but find the book on Amazon, product-led SEO. It is also everywhere else that books are sold, but it, you know, Adrian and I were talking earlier about books. People just buy things on Amazon. That's yep. that's the way. That's just the way it's going to be. I'd love to hear from anybody. Like contact me on LinkedIn. Contact me on my website. Uh, and please check out the book. If you're in CX, the book may not be directly relevant to you, but you're probably working with people that are doing your marketing and product, and you should be able to call BS on them when they want to just chase the wrong metrics. You want everything to be tied into the customer. Your marketing should be tied into the customer. The SEO should be tied into the customer. And don't let people like hide behind, you know, vanity metrics of we're going to do this because we just need to appear in search. You need to do this because the customers are there and they're going to buy. And that's the way all your marketing should be. That's where all your products should be. And certainly when you tie the marketing product together, that is the way your SEO should be. So it's really great to be here, Adrian. I love having this kind of conversation, um, you know, thinking about customers and digging deep into customers' minds. I love it. Eli, it's been our absolute pleasure, man. I'm going to be looking forward to keeping in touch with you moving forward. And uh, thank you so much for joining the CX Chronicles podcast, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you for listening to another episode of the CX Chronicles podcast. We're thrilled to have you as a part of the CX Nation, tuning in to customer-focused business leaders from across the world. Be sure to check out the CXC website and as always, find us on any of your favorite podcast players, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Thanks so much for making this show a reality and being a part of the CX Nation. And as always, folks, remember to make happiness a habit.